you know, I wasn't there for the daytime hours. And then I was stressed when I was there and I just felt like I wasn't bringing my best to my son. And I just felt stressed out all the time. And I thought, well, this is not, this is not the life I was hoping for. And so then I was always chasing this dream because I needed to prove that all the hard work I had done in school was paying off. It was a strikingly joyous day. It, and I really did think at that moment, oh my gosh, this feels like my wedding. I get to go around talking to everybody. <laughs> and it just felt so wrong to me to be shopping during the day. It was just the strangest experience to be able to do that. Um, I, I think a, a wonderful goal would not be to come up with a list of a million things that you want to accomplish next year, but to make it a goal to find more quiet every single day. Hey guys, and welcome to the I Love Success podcast. I am really grateful to have you here today with me. If you're new to the show, uh, this show is all about giving. It's all about uh, giving you the tools in order for you to achieve your dreams and achieve your goals, whatever that might mean to you. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on this journey with me. I've been very, very lucky in my life that I've attracted some really, really good coaches, mentors in my life as an athlete. My father was my karate coach and he helped me all the way to become a world medalist. I've had so many coaches, too many to mention. And I've had so many mentors, both that I met in person. Some of them are dead, like Bruce Lee, but he's helped me so much in my life. I've read tons of books uh, just in order to improve. And, and for me, that all started from pain. I wanted something that I didn't have. And uh, by learning all those things and, and, and finding the answers to my, my questions that were painful, I realized that there are there are answers to most of our so-called problems and challenges in life. So if you're out there now and, and you have questions and you're struggling and you're, you're not where you want to be in life, then this is the show for you. Even if you are doing very well, I think we can always learn and improve. Uh, so again, thank you for being on this show with us. My, my big fat mission is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. And I can't do that myself. That's why I bring on incredible guests uh, to just enjoy and, and, and share. And uh, today I'm really excited because I have an old friend that we, we used to be in the same office. We always talked a little bit and I had published a book and uh, she told me that she was publishing a book. And, and I feel so bad because I never really asked, asked her what the book was about. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's a big lesson because what's actually something that I am so passionate about and I never even asked the question. And, and, and that, that is so, I don't know, even, I don't even know a word for it, but I, I just want to tell you, if you're talking to people, ask questions because you might be much, much more similar than you think. Anyways, uh, fast forward a couple of years, um, I had lunch at Ferrarini, a, ca a cafe that I really like in Beverly Hills. And then there she was with, with her friends and we started talking and uh, I, now she had published the book and I decided to order the book and I, I started reading it. And 
the name of the book is is so interesting because what I'm trying to do with this show is to redefine success. And the name of the book is actually Redefining Success for a Happier, More Authentic and Fulfilling Life. So I want to read just a little bit from the preface. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk to Alison Wolf Campbell here today. I really, really cool person with a beautiful smile and uh, just have some fun. So bear with me here. It was 2011. My life was amazing on paper. Someone observing from, from the outside would have assumed I had it all. I was happily married to a wonderful and supportive man who had a healthy and delightful three-year-old son and lived in a house mere blocks from the beach in Santa Monica, California. I had an exciting and challenging job with smart colleagues who were great team players. For an Angelino, I was unusually lucky. My job was just 10 minutes from home. My parents lived nearby and we enjoyed a warm, open relationship. Throughout my life, I had done everything expected of me to get to this impressive point. I'd gone to an Ivy League university and then earned my MBA from a prestigious program. Over the course of my career, I'd had I had held well-respected jobs, earning six-figure salaries at hip, brand, at hip brand name companies. But the need it all, I felt like a fraud and a failure. I had one narrow definition of success, and it was making me miserable. Ooh, that hits deep, Allison. Oh, yeah, it does. And, you know, Wow, I've never had somebody read my book to me before. And I have to say, it's, <laughs> I, I was, I, wow, I was unexpectedly moved by <laughs> the experience of having you read that yeah. to me. <laughs> so, Allison, let's, let's walk back to 2011, because I think there's a lot of people out there right now. They have it all on paper and uh, they, they feel like a fraud. They feel like a failure and they feel bad for feeling bad. Uh, so just take Take yourself back to that moment. Why, why weren't you happy? Oh, well, I, there were a lot of reasons. Um, one of them was that I had been working so, so hard to get to that point. And I still felt like I was not really expressing my truest and greatest gifts. And I felt very childlike at the time. And, and I get into it more in the book, but, but at the time I was getting closer to turning 40. And I had this idea in my head that, you know, when you're 40, you're supposed to be a full grown adult. And I still felt like such a child living by everybody else's rules. And I, and, and working in a corporate job, I, I felt almost like a slave, you know, having to show up and be at my desk for those you know, defined hours and only having two weeks of paid time off, which I was grateful to have paid time off, but still feeling like, oh my gosh, how can I fit all of the rest of my life into two weeks? And God forbid, I actually need them for sickness. Um, and so I just, I felt very out of control and I felt very overwhelmed and especially with having a small child, now all of a sudden, you know, whereas my focus had always been on building my career and in many ways emulating my father, who had been, um, a, who had had a successful career as an orthodontist and then added a few more careers on top of that. And he was an entrepreneur and he was always very excited about his work. 
Plus, he always taught me that I could do anything. So I was very career driven, very results driven, very achievement oriented. And now suddenly I had this child and there was that part of my mom that I also wanted to be the mom who was ever present and, um, you know, and just, just really, really there for me. And so, you know, by putting all my attention into my career, it exposed this, this deep failing that I felt also on the side of being a mom, because I couldn't, I I just, you know, I wasn't there for the daytime hours. And then I was stressed when I was there and I just felt like I wasn't bringing my best to my son. And I just felt stressed out all the time. And I thought, well, this is not, this is not the life I was hoping for. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, there's so many people out there that are chasing this type of achievements and, they, they really don't know why. It's just how the society is built up and how you grew up. You should do right. this. You should do that In, instead of asking the right questions. And what do you want to say to those people? Because for you, it took almost 40 years to, to get, you, you, you were, I don't know how long, how long were you in that pain before you actually made a change? Because I think that's, in one of my books, I talk about the frustration curve. It's almost like if life is kind of okay, People can stick with that their whole right. fucking lifetime. Uh, but if if you are in really, really big pain, then you make a change to the better usually. Uh, and that's kind of sad for me that when you see a lot of people, life is kind of okay and then you just keep going. And then, then that was life. So how long were you in that pain mode? Well, it depends on when you start counting. Yeah. Um, I you know, there was pain all, you know, through, through childhood for sure. But I think this type of acute pain really began after college, you know, and part of it was that, you know, growing up, there was sort of this hope you to do everything you're expected to do. And then you graduate from college and you sort of, you, you get the Holy grail and you're successful and you're happy and everything is just flowing. And I wasn't, because I had always been so focused on college, I hadn't really ever stopped to think about what happens after college. And, uh, and I definitely did not, I was, had been so focused on my academics that I wasn't building tools to prepare myself for what was to come after college. And so then I was always chasing this dream because I needed to prove that all the hard work I had done in school was paying off. It was paying. It was worth it. How how about uh, looking at? I know, as you know, I'm an athlete, and I remember in the beginning of my career, I was very performance uh, driven, and I was so so hard on myself. So I kind of forgot about enjoying the journey. How how was it that for you in college? Were you able to enjoy college as well, or was was the focus only on performance? Good. That's a great question. Um, I. I loved college. That was one of the happiest times of my life. Um, And I think so much of that is because I'm a lifelong learner. I think in my happiest life, I would just be in college for the rest of my life and I would have 20 PhDs. That would, (laughs) I mean, that's not taking into account the other realities of what it's like to be in a PhD program and to be, you know, in a university environment. But, but yeah, I, I loved school. It's, it is absolutely my happy place. And, and I think, 
I also really, like so many of us, I was an achievement junkie. So there's a part of, there's a part of achievement that's, it, it, it's, it's mixed. It's like, it's fun to go after goals and it's fun to try to do your best. So there's a part of that that's enjoyable, but it's also a slippery slope where you can lose sight of what exactly you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it. And I remember a coach once saying to me, are you just trying to achieve for the sake of achievement versus really enjoying what it is you are trying to achieve? And so, you know, I, I have a mix of experiences that really speak to both of those ideas. Ooh, that's, that's tough question that I, questions that I think we all need to ask ourselves. This podcast attracts a lot of high performers and I'm a high performer and I've learned during the years, I've learned to enjoy the things that I'm actually going after, because if we, if we don't enjoy it, and this goes back to, I mean, I asked, I did an exercise with Tony Robbins and he, he said, if you can explain life with one word, how would you explain it? And I didn't know what to answer, but I asked my wife and he, she said, life is full of joy. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think that is beautiful. If we can live with joy, uh, that's a beautiful life. Yeah, it is a beautiful life. And, and I think a lot of, you know, what, and a lot of the idea in my book is, you know, wanting to try to chase that joy. And, and yet there's so many other qualities that I think are part of a well-lived life. And, and if, you know, there was a time when I, when I was making joy, the goal, and the reality is not every moment is joyful. And at first it felt like a huge failure to be like, well, why can't I be joyful? I know the formula for happiness. And, and it really showed me that it's not just about joy, but it's also about acceptance and and really being able to be comfortable and embrace whatever is coming forward, even if it's not joy, you know, if it's a, if it's a negative feeling, you know, how, how, how much can we stop resisting what we don't like and really accept it as part of the human experience and learn and grow from it, which then, you know, shows another quality, which is, you know, it's not all joy, but it's learning and growth, you know, and, and other, and so many other qualities that I think are important. Yeah. So let's go back to you're almost 40. You're working a job. It pays you well. You're a mother now. You're trying to be good to everybody, but you're you're hurting inside. How how do you take that step to actually, you know, quit your job, start a spiritual psychology class, writing a book, and like being putting yourself all out there, right? It's it's kind of scary when you're a teenager. I think it's easier in a sense because it's okay to change but a lot of times when we get older we are we're so scared of change especially we're scared what people are going to think about us and starting over and we think about failure and 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 all those things so can you just walk us through that process how you got the courage and 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 how that looked like for you well i feel like it's such a common story i think the courage is generated when you reach the depths of your despair, you know, when there is just like, you cannot go forward the way that you have been. And a few things that happened to me, and again, this is such a common story. I just started to have such debilitating back pain that I couldn't sit, 
you know, I couldn't go to work. I remember being reduced to tears because I tried to sit down and do my work and it just hurt so bad. I remember going out to dinner with my husband and coincidentally, he also had a bad back and we, and we just both like bolted out of our seats in the restaurant. And we're like, do you have a different chair? And it was like, you know, I felt like Goldilocks. I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable anywhere because I was in such physical pain. Um, which is no doubt connected to all of the stress that I was under. Um, So that was part of it. And then there's another part that I also talk about in my book about this moment when I was at the, um, I was at the mall, it was around Christmas time. And there was, I was doing Christmas shopping and there, my high, my, my son's preschool was having a fundraiser. And if you brought your receipts to the mall concierge, they would donate a portion of your purchase back to the school. So I went to the concierge and he said to me with all of this, you know, exuberant holiday cheer, how's your day going? And, and I will say I used to be, or, you know, at that moment in time, I was reflecting on how I used to be this really exuberant uh, personality as well. And, you know, very positive and joyful and, And yet when he came to me with all of that intense happiness, it, it shined such a light on how unhappy I was in that moment. And the thought, the the specific words that came into my head were, how do so many people fake being happy in their jobs? And then I was like, oh my God, where did that thought come from? And, and it's particularly strange because I think if there's a word to describe who I am, it's authentic, you know? And so like nothing matters to me more than being authentic. And yet here I was assuming that people were being fake if they were happy. And it just showed me that I was very not happy. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting how in life when we when we when we feel these emotions right it's it's almost like we get pissed off with somebody else for being happy but the real question is like why why did i react uh, in that way right and what happened after that like how how did you how did you just quit and and just start because i know there's a lot of people that want to do this and i think hats off to you because it takes a lot of courage uh, and uh, especially when you, when you're already you know established, you have you're you're at, at a high level in your career, and this is kind of like starting over. And people don't realize what what are you doing, Alice? Like what what's is yeah. this like a forty year old forty year crisis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that we did, and this was also a really pivotal moment for us, is we met with a financial advisor because we had assumed that we just had to keep working and making as much money as we could in order to pay our bills, but we didn't actually have a, an understanding of how to look at finances. And this particular firm that we worked with had a wonderful method of doing that was very, that was very, uh, let's say personal, or they, they could speak a language that wasn't just a financial language. It was just a regular person way of explaining what you need to have in order to retire and giving 
basically a percentage chance of being able to have what you need by retirement. And so it showed us what where we really stood financially and and it showed us that that I could take a break, not forever, you know, and yes, we were going to have to cut back on expenses. Um, and, but, but by taking a longer term view, we were able to take a bet on ourselves that we would be able to catch up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And how, how was it when, when you decided to like, how, how did it feel the day when you gave notice from, from your, from your job? <laughs> It felt like my wedding. I mean, just going around and saying goodbye to people and having a really nice chat that was sort of outside of the stress of the job and everything I had to get done and to share with them what my plans were for the future. It was it was a very it was a strikingly joyous day. It, and I really did think at that moment, oh, my gosh, this feels like my wedding. I get to go around talking to everybody. And so, yeah, it was pretty. That's amazing. And I, I'm just thinking about like every time I meet people that are, you know, you meet them at work, they're quitting to do something cool. Like I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I always get so excited for those people because, you know, it takes so much courage. I've done this over and over in my life. I've somehow I've got the courage to do the things that I want. And that makes me so proud of myself and it makes me happy because it's hard. So every time I see other people doing that, it makes me so happy. So I think if you're listening to this now, just just think about what Allison said. It felt like her wedding. It was like a freeing feeling mm-hmm. because the feeling of unknown, I mean, we all want kind of guarantees in life, but Listen, there's no guarantees for anything whatsoever. So that liberating feeling that is that is uncertain, it's actually a good thing. And uh, when when I think there's a quote on my on my wife's vision board, it comes when when nothing is certain, everything is possible or something like yes, that. Yes, exactly. So yeah, and so walk us through what what happened what happened after that. Um, you quit your job now. Like, what's what's the plan? <laughs> Before I say the plan, I just have to reflect also on that next week when I remember going to the promenade and shopping. <laughs> no, I don't think I was shopping for anything in particular. I was just, or maybe I was. Maybe I went to a store for something I needed, and it just felt so wrong to me to be shopping during the day. It was just the strangest experience to be able to do that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And that's crazy. Like, I mean, when we, we look at our lives and we like, we want to design our own lives. I mean, that's, that's what this show is about, redefining success. And if you want to work for somebody else, that's awesome. Just make sure that you have boundaries. So you create a good life. So you don't go through the whole life, just accommodating other people uh, and, and forgetting about what's important to you. Right, exactly. Uh, so you had asked me a question. So what happens next? I started working, I found out about this master's program in spiritual psychology. Yeah. And I started working on my application for that. I had to write a, a, 
an essay for it, well, a few essays. And interestingly, this program said, we want you to say everything you have to say. And I took that to heart and I wrote, I think it was a 39 page application because every time I went to hand it in, they said, did you say everything? And then I was like, oh God, did I say everything? Maybe there's more, maybe there's more. And I'm like, what else do I need to say? So I just kept dumping it in and, and, um, and which was a huge catharsis. Uh, so there was that. And then I was also already thinking at that time of writing a book at the time, I was thinking it was going to be on work-life balance. Yeah which gets in there, but it's not the primary focus. Because I remember when you, when we met that WeWork, you were writing the book. Were you, have, had you started that program at that point or were you oh, still? Yeah, I, yeah were, I had finished it. Yeah, it was a couple oh, of Oh, you had out. finished the program. Mm -hmm. at, okay, but you were still working at that time. At that time, mm -hmm. I, I was working on my book. On your book, okay. Yeah, I so understand. at that point, I had just had my second child. I actually started at WeWork about a year after she was born. And my, my big focus at that time was getting the book done. And I had already written the first draft. Okay. Awesome. And how, uh, for people who like a lot of people dream about writing a book and it's, it's a big project. And I know it took, it took you, took you a while because I think it's so personal and so emotional and, uh, uh, especially you putting yourself out there. It's almost like walking naked on the street. That's, that's at least how I felt on a, mm. when I wrote my first book. And I was scared of, you know, being too personal because this is out there. Everybody can read it. And so how, just walk us through that. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? And how do you get the courage? It's funny because I, I keep hearing you say courage and I recognize from the outside, it looks like courage and from the inside, it, it felt very different. Um, you know, in terms of quitting the job, it just felt like what had to happen, you know, just because I had reached that, that point. Um, with yeah. the book, I just had this burning need to share what I had to share. It just, again, it was something that just, it had to be done. And certainly I felt like the universe was not in support of me getting it done. Um, there were a lot of obstacles along the way, but there was there was just such a crystal cl clarity in my head that it that it had to be done. Um, you made a decision. I made it, I, and yeah, I made a decision, but it almost felt like it wasn't coming from me. It, it was really like the truest sense of the word calling. You know, it just it had to be done, and I felt like I was doing it without support from the world, you know, it just, it's again, it seemed like it wasn't the right thing to be doing and yet it had to be done. I, there was just nothing that was going to shake the idea off of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of the vulnerability piece, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't yet focused on what I was exposing. Well, I, I, it turns that into a question because I guess there were two parts. One was that I just had to, I had this extreme need to express what I had to share. And so I wasn't so much focused on how it would reflect on me. Um, but then the other part was I also really wanted what I had to share to be received by people that it could benefit. And so that was, that was really, that was my focus. Cool. So let's talk about redefining success. So in, in what's your definition of success? 
my definition of success is not a succinct one. Um, so I'm going to say it in a, I think I actually did get it down succinctly in my book, but it took a, a lot of work. Um, but a huge part of it is being true to myself. So it's knowing what is important to me and a living according to my values above all else and no matter what happens. And it's also about taking into account my whole person. So whereas I had been talking about the limit, my, my previously limited view of success, which had been focused around how much money I could make what job I had, what title I had, where I had gone to school, the names of the companies I worked for, the people that I worked with. It was sort of all these external markers of success. And, and, and when I learned to redefine it, it was more about attending to all parts of my being. So that's, you know, mind, body, spirit. It's, it's about being able to pursue external goals but also about not making sacrifices. Well, of course, you're always going to make a sacrifice, but not making sacrifices to my well-being. So if I can't pursue a goal um, without getting a back injury, then that's not success. You know, so I have to be able to work toward a goal, but also be a centered and balanced human being who can be present with other people and who can who can attend to all the areas of of our lives and in in my current work now we focus on what we call our personal five oceans and that means finances career health relationships and fun so if i'm not attending to all categories of my life then I'm not being successful because of course, you know, if I put hundred percent of my energy into my job, I can make myself successful at my job, but what happens to my marriage? What happens to my health? You know, how do I be, how can I be a whole person if I am not pursuing other outside activities that enliven me and replenish me? That's, that's not success to me. And so success takes into account the whole picture. Yeah. And that's, that's hard, right? That's something mm -hmm. that we all look for. I know I, I speak about in my book, the goal book, it's all about having a balance of success in the different areas. Yeah. And that is tricky. You know, it's, it, it takes, it takes inner work. And I know, I, I think a lot of people mistake success and performance and a lot of people see performance as success. And it certainly can be, but performing and being successful in my mind are, are two different things because I know a lot of people that can perform very well, but they, they don't feel successful and they're, they're not successful in their, in their lives. Uh, and then vice versa, I have people like uh, they're very successful and, and happy, so to speak, uh, but they, they don't have, they're not always number one because that's not what they're aiming for. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you just talk about that and, and, and elaborate a little bit? I, I think that success is very personal and really requires a lot of introspection. And it also requires a lot of letting go of expectations. And by expectations, I mean, you know, a lot of times we think about 
the expectations that others are putting on ourselves, but really it's our own expectations. And even when we say, you know, that somebody external to me has this expectation, I, I think upon deeper reflection, we would all find that it's what we, it's that it really at heart is our own expectation that we're sort of projecting onto others as having of us. And, and, you know, maybe as a child, that's more relevant, but I think once we become our own adults, I think we, we start to imagine what people are expecting of ourselves and think that that demand is coming from an external source when really it's internal. Yeah. And, uh, Let's talk a little bit about the book. So there's there's an amount of lessons in there that you, how did you, what what was the idea behind them and how did you learn some of these lessons yourself? Well, I learned them in my master's program. So it was at the University of Santa Monica. They had this master's program in spiritual psychology and it was just an exquisitely designed program. The first year was all about learning the lessons and the second year was all about implementing the lessons. And so I think the beauty of that is you know, we're learning, we were learning psychology concepts. We were also learning about spirituality. But I think what's different about this program from other programs is, is, that, is that they don't leave it in the realm of theory. They really put you to the test and they give you assignments that are going to really um, challenge you. And so that you are required to use the tools that they are teaching. So they become integrated into your being. And so I was, and and because it is school and it's a safe environment, it allows the opportunity to really experiment with completely new ways of being, completely new ways of doing things and to, um, to be able to fail safely. And so that you can sort of rewrite how you approach life. That was what I got from it. And, and the lessons, they really all just came to me. I, I, it wasn't a real thinking process. It was really sort of a, it was a downloading process. You know, all the things that were, had been most poignant to me that really were reshaping my life. They just had to be said. And I'll, I'll give an example of, of one of the lessons because I, I loved it so much and it really felt like it was given to me as a gift, you know, like really served on a platter. And that was <clears throat> when I was pregnant with my second child, I, I was so, um, I had, well, it wasn't morning sickness. I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was just nauseous all the time and I had no energy whatsoever, especially during those first few months. And then just as I was starting to feel a little bit better and I was feeling very behind in my schoolwork because I was in school during my pregnancy. And, and so I was starting to feel better and I thought, okay, I better do my schoolwork. But then a friend wanted to have coffee and I decided, okay, I'm going to have coffee instead of doing my schoolwork. And that was very counter to how I had ever approached things. It was always, for me, it was always work first. You know, you can't play until you get your work done. And so I went and I did this and I felt so enlivened after my coffee with her. I, it was just, it it felt like a new me and it was, it clearly was the thing that I needed more than anything else. And then I came home and it was time to write a chapter for my book. And the, the, the lesson from going to coffee with her was so poignant to me that that became the chapter of my book. 
and I didn't have to do any work whatsoever. It poured out of me. And it was like, and, and so what I realized that was that it, it was a great lesson in why it's important to take care of all of our needs in mental, physical, spiritual, and, uh, and emotional, because when you take care of one need, it, it serves all of them. So by, by giving myself this emotional gift of being able to connect one-on-one with someone, it turned into this really productive, um, no, I don't know. It, 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 it was very productive for me on my physical goal. I feel you. I mean, some of my best performances, Allison, has actually been like one of my best performances ever was after I went to Spain for a whole summer drinking and partying. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No. I trained so hard, <laughs> you know, and and I wanted it so much that I hold, held on to it. And when I just allowed myself to have fun, uh, it just came to me. And obviously that's, I'm reading a book now called Ask and It's Given. It's mm-hmm. Given. I don't know if you read that book. Uh, it's very interesting. And it's it's all about, it's about that part of allowing ourselves to be successful as well. Because if we if we hold on to some things too much, we, we kind of stop ourselves from yeah. succeeding, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You cannot do your best work when you're in a constricted state. Yeah. So Alison, uh, before I let you go, just two more questions. So uh, this book for who is this book for and 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 why why should uh, why should we read it? Oh, another good question, a better question than you might even know. When I first started writing it, it was really for people like me, you know, so probably primarily women, but not exclusively. Um, people in their late 30s, 40s, taking a new look at their life and what they want from their life. People who may, like me, who have chased this path of, of sort of external success, working really hard, doing what's expected of them, um, who, who need to um, have ideas for a different way forward. But as I've, as the years have gone on, because it's really been about eight or nine years since I started the book, and I myself have evolved and I, I'm facing new, new challenges that aren't just about extracting myself from a career that's not working for me. Um, I feel more and more that it's, it really is for, well, you know, you never want to say it's for anyone and everyone. It is for anybody who is really committed to their personal growth, um, who is looking to find a way to be a better partner, attract a partner, somebody who is um, wanting to feel more true to themselves. Are you pointing at me when you said that? Thank you. No, I didn't know. I was pointing at you. You have a <laughs> Just partner. <laughs> Just kidding. But, but it's also about being, becoming a better partner, becoming a better version of yourself. Just getting clearer about what you want. And I and I love the book that you're reading. Learning how to identify what you want ask for it and recognize when it is being given to you. And, um, and I think also about learning to have a little bit more humility in life and allowing the life itself, the universe the environment around you to be a partner to you in achieving your goals. I love that. So here's the book, everybody. You can find it on Amazon. 
and we're going to put the link as well so it won't be hard for you to find it and i think you're really going to enjoy it and my final question to you ali is um for people that are still here listening, watching, and they're, they're, they they want to make that next change. We're, we're approaching the end of the year. And this is, I think this is also time for many people, they start reflecting. Uh, and uh, what would be the first step after this show? What can they do right now in order to, you know, get a little bit more clarity and take the next steps in being, being a little bit more uh, in tune with what they want? The answer, the clear answer in my mind is to do less, not more. It's so important, important to find a place of stillness and to recognize that we all really have our own answers inside of us, but it really requires quiet and stillness to hear those answers. And so I, I think a, a wonderful goal would not be to come up with a list of a million things that you want to accomplish next year, but to make it a goal to find more quiet every single day. I love that. And I think there's, uh, if we look at our phones, there is this app that says how much we're on, on our phones, right? And there should be, there should be, there should be a almost like a piece of paper next to your bed saying like how much quiet time did i have today uh, oh. because if we look at that it's it's kind of uh, like most people probably cringing right now because it's not a lot and i think we 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 need more and the answers will appear in our lives if we start giving them the chance to to appear and um, allison i i'm so glad that we reconnected and i think there was the universe say of uh, of, that we needed to talk, that I needed to read your book. Uh, so thank you so much for your kindness, for your beautiful smile, for everything you do in this world. We're, we really appreciate you. And if people want to connect with you, work with you, what's the easiest way to, to do that? Well, they can find me on my website, which is Allison Campbell Coaching. And it's Allison with one L. Yeah. And yeah, you can learn a little bit more about me there. I'm also on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, that's, and thank you so much. It was really a pleasure reconnecting with you as well. And I'm honored to uh, have you ask for me to show up on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, thank you everybody that uh, are still here listening, watching. We really appreciate you. And uh, I do one show every week to share good ideas and, and great thoughts for you to start you know, making your life a little bit better and whatever that means to you, we're here to support you. I want to hear from you. If there's anything I can do to support you in your dreams, please reach out to me. You can easily find me if you just Google my name, Peter Jumrukovsky. Uh, it's hard to spell, but Google will help you. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Please subscribe. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us a review. Share this with somebody that needs to hear this message. As I told you, I want to help a lot of people, as a matter of fact, at least 10 million people. And I can't do that myself. I, I need your help with that. So thank you so much. And uh, I wish you all a happy holiday. Stay safe, stay blessed, be a little bit kind this year, um, maybe a little bit more kind than, than you've been. And uh, yeah, just spread, spread some, some joy during these times. So thanks a lot and see you soon. Thanks, Peter.